Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Now, views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily views of Talk Show, Generated Productions, Tonyhead.com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. This is your Sunday evening forum, Nation Talk. Nation Talk is a live public affairs program that deals with issues concerning you from the studios of Savannah, Georgia. Begin the conversation, call 1724-444-7444. Call it the number 555-19-POUND. That's 1724-444-7444. Call it the number 555-19-POUND.
seconds, the child is reported missing in the United States. Of these missing children, under 45% are African-American children who are being torn from their families. There are astronomical numbers of abused, missing, and murdered African-American children that fail to get the needed exposure in the media. Hi, this is Brother Reggie, asking you to go to www.peaceandtheirpods.com. It is everyone's job to save our children. If you're not facing your mortgage issues, this can be the most terrifying sound in the world. It means you've fallen behind. It means hope is dwindling. It means you're another call closer to losing your home to foreclosure. Fortunately, there's hope. If you need real help and guidance, call 1-888-995-HOPE. That's 1-888-995-4673 because nothing is worse than doing nothing. A public service announcement brought to you by NeighborWork, the Ad Council, and this station. Welcome to the ocean. I've sailed the seven seas a hundred times and found something I like even more than me treasure. Tis the ocean, beautiful and clear. Right now, I'd be sailing over the Great Barrier Reef. It just shivers me timbers thinking of all the fish and coral below me. Wait, what's that floating by? A plastic bag! Why, Black Bear's eye patch, that's disgusting. Why did you know that many of these things come from boats throwing them carelessly on the ground? It'd be true. Lend us a hand by always recycling and disposing of your trash properly. Boys, get the plank ready. Somebody's got to dive in and get that bag. Any volunteers? <laughs> All right, fine. I'll do it myself. Cannonball! Find out what you can do to help keep the oceans healthy at KeepOceansClean.org. Brought to you by the Keep Oceans Clean Alliance and the Ad Council. Now, views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk Show, Jam Radio Productions, Sonahead.com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk on Talk Show and Jam Radio. Thank you. 
evening. And welcome to your Sunday evening forum, Nation Talk, Real Talk, Real Issues. Tonight, we have like a variety of issues going on, from the Oscar protest to what Stacey Dash says about the Oscar protest and black history, which is coming up pretty soon. News, news, and more news, especially those of you who are slowed in in New York and having issues in New Jersey with the um, flood. We here in Savannah had, had, a, had our coast map that is still cold. We had a flurry on yesterday. A snow flurry. A snow flurry. But don't worry, it didn't stick. I was hoping that I was hoping it would stick like it did back in eighty nine. That that's the last time the it snowed here in Savannah since nineteen eighty nine. That's a long time ago. I remember because myself, my brother, my both my brothers and sisters went out and and Played in the snow. I even got a chance to, to do some payback on some snowball fighting. <laughs> but tonight, the Oscar protest still continues. The 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 flack of what about the Oscar protest about the Oscars that is the Oscar nominated um about the selection of nominees being all quote unquote all white. That's a big that's a big issue. And matter of fact uh Stacey Dash who's an actress, I don't know if you remember her from Chitalo Chitalo the little black girl in Clueless. Which brings to my point, I think the girl was very clueless of what she was talking about. So clueless that there's some people who are so upset, are just too upset with her. Now, granted, they, they should, everybody's Everybody's tied to their opinion. Everybody's tied to their opinion. Now, uh, he's somebody, <laughs> he's on YouTube called the Donkey of the Day. He's now he's the Donkey of the Day. Here's the full video. What she what she's talking about? Listen very carefully, and you make your own opinion on this. Generations, while staying the course, the 
president giving just his third Oval Office address last night, calling the shooting massacre in California a terrorist attack for the very first time from him, and laying out the four-point strategy his administration is already employing to fight ISIS. fighting to regain control of their own country. That is how we'll achieve a more sustainable victory. It won't require us sending a new generation of Americans overseas to fight and die for another decade on foreign soil. Critics quickly reacting to the president saying he did not offer any new plan to defeat the ISIS savages. Here's syndicated columnist Charles Krathammer. As to the substance and and the tone, I think it's a complete failure. The substance, he announced nothing new on strategy on the ground, except he, he argued against ground troops, which is a political point, but as to anything that he's adding to his strategy, uh, there was nothing to encourage any sense that we're going to do any better. And it's not just his critics, either. A new CNN poll is finding most Americans are not happy with the president's terrorism strategy. Take a look for the very first time. A majority, 53%, are saying the U.S. should send ground troops in to fight the Islamic State. And a significant majority of Americans, 64%, are displeased with Mr. Obama's handling of the ISIS threat. We should note, the polling that you just saw those numbers were actually before the terrorist attack in San Bernardino. Uh, Okay, let's bring it out to you first, Tucker. You know, I was curious as I was watching the president last night who the perceived audience was for this president. You and I talked in the green room. He seemed a little different as he was giving this speech. He seemed uncomfortable. I think part of the audience was, of course, restive Democrats were very concerned about his mishandling of this because it redounds against them, of course. I I would say there was a new idea offered, and that's a, a ceasefire in Syria. I think it's a smart idea. We should have done it years ago, better than our current policy of destabilizing the region. The problem with this speech, however, was the emphasis. We did an analysis, and I have one of my reporters at Daily Caller look at it word for word. He spent 8% of this speech describing the threats of ISIS to the world, and he spent 29% describing the threats that the U.S. poses to the world, because we own too many guns and we're bigots. What does that tell you right there? He spent the bulk of the speech lecturing his own countrymen on their shortcomings. That's very revealing. That has been part of the criticism today, Andrea, that we that the nation got lectured to like a professor. And, in fact, some of the GOP candidates, I believe Senator Ted Cruz among them, has been saying that today. Yeah, but lectured to by a former constitutional law professor who fundamentally is trying to snub the U.S. Constitution. This morning there's some growing outrage with some over the lack of diversity in this year's list of Oscar nominees. Filmmaker Spike Lee and actress Jada Pinkett Smith say they're not going to go to the Oscars next month after an all-white list of nominees was announced for the major categories for a second year in a row. Join us now to weigh in, actress and Fox News contributor Stacey Dash. Stacey, good morning to you. Good morning. Well, what do you think about this? I think it's ludicrous. Why? Because we have to make up our minds. Either we want to have segregation or integration. If we don't want segregation, then we need to get rid of channels like BET and the BET Awards and the Image Awards, where you're only awarded if you're black. If it were the other way around, we would be up in arms. It's a double standard. So you say there shouldn't be a BET channel? No, I don't think Be a BET channel? No, I don't think so. No, 
just like there shouldn't be a Black History Month. You know, we're Americans, period. Okay, now you hear it. You heard it. You heard it, what she said. Okay? We we rewind it. Play it back. For the benefit of those who missed it. And remember, she was just fired from Fox. Uh, I, I think she's just, just a little disgruntled because she got because she got fired for Fox. <laughs> okay, let me play it again. Then I'll finish playing out the rest of it. And then I'll give you um, Will Smith's. Will and Jada Smith, is it Will? Yeah, about the Will and Jada Smith not going. Okay? Um, okay, here, here, here it is again. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to make, make sure you hear this. From the, from the horse's mouth, how clueless she is. I think it's ludicrous because we have to make up our minds. Either we want to have segregation or integration. If we don't want segregation, then we need to get rid of channels like BET and the BET Awards and the Image Awards, where you're only awarded if you're black. If it were the other way around, we would be up in arms. It's a double standard. So you say there shouldn't be a BET channel? No, I don't think so, no. Just like there shouldn't be a Black History Month. You know, we're Americans, period. That's it. Are you saying there shouldn't be a Black History Month because there isn't a White History Month? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Al Sharpton has uh, uh, jumped on this boycott bandwagon. He says, don't watch because Hollywood, here's a quote, Hollywood has become like the Rocky Mountains. The higher you get, the whiter. The whiter you get. Well, that's not necessarily true. And if it is, you know, that needs to change. What I find astounding is that we've had a president who is black in office for the past eight years who gets most of his funding from the liberal elite in Hollywood, mm-hmm. yet there are not very many roles for people of color. How can that be, and why is it just now being addressed? I, I can understand Jada uh, Pinkett Smith's frustration that her husband wasn't nominated yeah. for, you know, he did a great job in the movie, uh, concussion, mm-hmm. but at the same time, what does that say about how people are selected for these awards? Right, that's assuming they're selected by race, which I, I think would be a very dis- a disservice to the people who are looking at the films and making the choices. Maybe they need they need to be more, you know, integrated, and 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 there need to be more diverse people in the process of electing in the academy. In the academy, uh, the the demographics of the academy apparently are, are secret, but for the most part, according to some investigation out in Hollywood, yeah. it's uh, predominantly a white male. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. So maybe that says something about who they select, or are, are they looking for that or the best movies and the best actors? I, I hope they're looking for the best movies and the best actors. The good news is that there's attention brought to it now. But like I said, 
Over the past eight years, we've had a president who's black, who gets his funding mainly from Hollywood, the elite liberals. So it's odd to me that this has now become such an issue. Well, let's see uh, what happens, uh, because they are calling for people not to watch it. Let's see if the ratings go down. I doubt it. By the way, <laughs> before you go, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right out to Robin. She's got that exclusive interview with Will Smith in L.A. Hey, Robin. All right, George. And all Will Smith, many of the actors who many feel should have been nominated for his performance in Concussion. Yeah, he hoped to receive a nomination. Many actors hope to hear their name called nomination morning, but Will Smith says he's even more concerned about what he sees as a serious issue that goes far beyond the film industry. Is Hollywood like you expected it to be and you dreamed of it as a kid? The beauty of Hollywood, in, combined with um, American ideals, is the the ultimate dreams for humanity, the basis of the American concept of anything is possible with, with hard work and dedication, and no matter your race or your religion, creed, not, none of that matters in America. The way you describe it, um, and for everyone, their American dream is different. It's not all the same, and they want to see that reflected in film. Absolutely. And I think that is part of the conversation that's going on right now. Absolutely. People raising their hand and saying, hey, I'm not seeing myself right. being recognized by the Academy. Right. Can you understand their feelings? Yeah. I, I think that um, diversity is the American superpower. That's why we're great. So many different people from so many different places adding their ideas, their inspiration, and their influences to this beautiful American gumbo, you know. And for me, uh, at its best, Hollywood represents and then creates the imagery for that for that beauty. But for my part. I think that I have to protect and uh, fight for the ideals that make our country and make our Hollywood community great. And so when I look at the series of nominations of the Academy, it's, it's not reflecting that beauty. Yeah, you said Hollywood at its best, and many feel we're not seeing Hollywood at its best right now. Even George Clooney mentioned that 10 years ago he thought the Academy was doing better. What is your opinion? Well, it's it's really interesting. I've been been nominated uh, twice for Academy Awards, and I've never lost to a white person. (laughs) The first time I lost to Denzel, and the second time I lost to Forrest Whitaker. So for me... That was huge. So when, when I see this list and series of nominations that come out, and everybody is fantastic, and that's the, the, the complexity of this issue. Everyone is beautiful and deserving, and it's fantastic, but it feels like it's going the, 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 the wrong direction. You know, when I, when I look at it, the, the nominations reflect, 
reflect the academy. The academy reflects the industry, reflects Hollywood. And then the industry reflects America. It reflects a series of challenges that we are having in our country at the moment. There's a regressive slide towards separatism, towards racial and religious disharmony. And that's not the Hollywood that I want to leave behind. That's not the industry, that's not the America I want to leave behind. The Academy is under pressure as more stars speak out about the lack of diversity in this year's Oscar nominations, including Will's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith. Just let the Academy do them with all grace and love, and let's do us differently. Your beautiful wife, yeah. Jada. Mm-hmm. So passionate yeah, and so powerful. Absolutely. And letting the world know her thoughts Absolutely. about the lack of diversity in Hollywood with her posting. Absolutely. And has been seen by, by millions. Were you aware that she was going to do that? Uh, no. I was uh, I was out of the country at the time, <laughs> and I came home. Uh, what happened? <laughs> what was your first reaction? Was it was it a fist pump or was it like, oh? She's deeply passionate, and when she is moved, she has to go. And I heard her words, and I was knocked over. You know, I was happy to be married to that woman, but I appreciated the push. There's a position that we hold in this community, and if we're not a part of the solution, we're a part of the problem. We'll be back with more of Nation Talk in a moment. with the Karate Glove. Hi, my name's Molly, inventor of the Karate Glove. Now I have just one and a half words for you. Hi-ya! The Karate Glove chops through anything. Just put it on and instantly chop through wood. Hi-ya! Concrete. Hi-ya! Brick wall. Hi-ya! Trees. Hi-ya! Small cars. Hi-ya! It can even chop through these eight guitars. Hi-ya! 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 
It chops things. If I can invent a karate glove, just imagine what you can do. Visit inventnow.org to get started on your invention. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. It's high time! Energy efficiency interviews are brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Matthew, you know energy-saving light bulbs last six times longer than that old bulb in your lamp. Uh, yeah, well, I don't even live here. Matthew, dinner's ready. I never met that woman. It's your favorite, Matt. Lasagna. Uh, don't you people knock? Just give me the energy saver. Millions of kids are using their energy wisely. What's your excuse? Learn more at LoseYourExcuse.gov. The views and peas of Nation Talks are not necessarily the views of TalkShoe, GenerativeProductionStudy.com, and sponsors. This is Nation Talk on TalkShoe and Jazz Radio. Call now, 1724-444-7444. Call ID number 555-19-POUND to hear, I want to hear what you, what you think.
Atchison Fox News contributor, Stacey Dash, just weighed in on the Oscar boycott, and she claims it's not just the Academy who needs to be racially inclusive. Mm-hmm. Take a look. We have to make up our minds. Either we want to have segregation or integration. And if we don't want segregation, then we need to get rid of channels like BET and the BET Awards and the Image Awards, where you're only awarded if you're black. If it were the other way around, we would be up in arms. It's a double standard. So you say there shouldn't be a BET channel? No, I don't think so, no. Just like there shouldn't be a Black History Month. You know, we're Americans, period. That's it. Well, they, we, yeah, Black History Month, this White History Month is every other month. <laughs> <laughs> so Black History Month is there to spotlight, uh, you know, the history, and it's important, I think. You know, I think it's the height of hypocrisy that Stacey Dash would say that there should be no BET when she had a recurring role on the BET show, The Game. <laughs> For one, she was a presenter at the NAACP Theater Awards. Yes, I am talking to you, Miss Dash. She's graced the cover of Jet, Pride, Heart and Soul, Smooth, King. Really, Stacey Dash. I mean, I I just think it's incredible that she would give up whatever values she had in the first place to pander to an audience that is sort of angry and scared of people that don't look like them. And she is giving them... Yes, it's one of 
Yeah, I know, unfortunately. You and know. I'm not saying that, I, I'm not agreeing with her. I'm no, just, no. I'm just I'm, wondering I'm, if I'm this is stirring something up. No, it's I'm not stirring anything up. It's already stirred. That's why, that's why we had to do this. Well, the other point, the other point to make is that DET has an audience, and this is a money-making industry. Right. And they're going to, their demographic, which is African-American mostly, I'm sure, and that's, that's how they make money, and they get before, I said if, if the roles were reversed and I turned on the TV and I'm white and could never... Are you? You are? <laughs> and, and she's pregnant. You guys, I don't want to drop on my phone right now. I am white. But if I turned on the TV and didn't see any character or person that I resonate with, you know, my, I, my brother's gay, and I remember there was a time early on when they were putting in one gay character that was always flamboyant and always the best friend with a girl. Right. And my brother would say it was really hard for him because he said, it's so frustrating. I'm not like that guy. Like and I don't see that. anyone he could ever watch. And so if I were just a white person sitting at home and everything was black, I, I would, if the roles were reversed, I would look for people I could relate to. Of yeah. course. And it's really it's difficult, I think, growing up as a person of color, when you don't have those images in front of you. It was very difficult for, for me. And I, and I want to say this about BET not being inclusive, because I think that was part of her point. Stacey Dash was saying, well, you can only get an NAACP Image Award if you're black. That's that is, not, that true. is not true. That's Sophia actually. Vergara won in 2011. Sandra Bullock's been nominated. Justin Timberlake. Angelina Jolie. If, you don't, know, if you don't know Come what on. you're talking about, that makes it hard to have this conversation. Yes. Yes. It really does, you know. And so... Stereotyping is not something anybody in America really wants to deal with, okay? But unfortunately, we have it. And so we have to put networks aside, you know, uh, lifetime for women. You know, now there's a lifetime for black women. Then there's a lifetime for Asian women. It's like, you know. Niche marketing. We but have but if all you see is one thing, and you know, you were describing, I think, a lot of these angry people's worst nightmares. Turn on the TV and not seeing them. You know? I see black people. Yes. There's <laughs> <laughs> a sixth sense moment. You all know what I'm talking about. Yes, yes. yes. Black yes. people are constantly saying, I see white people. We see That's white people all the time. <laughs> we have, we They're have everywhere. <laughs> Oscar boycott. They're getting louder and louder on the lack of diversity among the nominees. But here's my question. Why is this a conversation that we only have once a year? Because every, every year we get all fired up and then the rest of the year nobody says anything. These movies have been coming out. We've been going to see them. I'm sure people notice when there's lack of diversity in the movie. So why are we speaking well, about it now? Christmas. You only talk about it once a year because there it is in your face. It's the same thing. Yeah. And so I, here it is again. But it's in your face all the time when you go to the movie. But I think it's a lightning rod, I think, that just yeah. reminds people of how white and how white people are awarded. And, and I, I think, you know, we always think it's going to get better. Because last year there was that hashtag Oscar So White, and we had this conversation last year. I really two years and ago. two years ago, and I really thought it was going to get better this year. And I'm actually surprised it isn't better because when you look at the stats, 46 percent of the 1.2 billion in movie tickets sold in the U.S. in 2014 were purchased by African yeah. Americans. Forty six percent are nominating people seeing the movies, you're nominating people in the movies. And the real problem is there aren't a lot of movies that feature African Americans. We had Creed this year, uh, right. where Stallone was the only actor nominated, the irony of that, not lost. 
He went straight out of Compton. The only people nominated for that were the two white writers. So there are issues, and, and you know. But there's real purchasing power. Sure, that, that's sure. my point. So I'm, I'm sort of surprised at that. I mean, if you look at Ride Along 2, which came out this weekend, it bumped Star Wars out of the number one spot. Okay, it but Ride Along 2 Star is not Wars. nominated any time. It's not, <laughs> but, it, but, it goes, but it goes to show you the yeah. power of the African-American dollar, and, and that's why I think so what Jada Pinkett-Smith and others are boycotting the Oscars. But it's supposed to be about quality. It's not supposed to be about money, right? Well, <laughs> right. I agree. <laughs> Who are you going to bump out? Whose performance are you going to say wasn't as good as? Because that's how you have to look at this. And the other thing is, you know, Chris Rock is the host of the Academy Awards. And so to boycott him seems just as bad as what everybody's saying. See, because to me, no, you don't have to clap, you don't have to clap, it's okay. Because we have this conversation every year, and it pisses me off. And it pisses me off because there are people, you know, there's not a lot of support for little companies who make movies that may be more diverse than everything else. Mm -hmm. But you can't bitch about it just on Oscar time. You have to look and say, and I am mad, so don't be surprised. And keep your emails and and, and texts. Keep all that to you, because I don't care. I really don't. Here's a question, though. When they have the bigger... Um, uh, groups of people that they have to narrow down to the mm-hmm. top five. Mm-hmm. Were the larger groups, did they have diversity? Were, were there Every, Latino? Were there black? Everybody who, so, is, who it is possible to nominate, anybody who was in a movie, you can nominate them. Okay. You, As an actor, I can nominate anybody who was in a movie. The same with the, the best movies. I can nominate any movie I want that's on the list. And every movie is on the list, including Ride Along and Ride Along 2. That's very but, true. But they're the bottom, all there. But, but the bottom people line who are doing the nominating are too white. And there 94% of them that's are white. And if you, if the president, Cheryl Blue, no, came out with no, yes, no, 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 yes. I make movies for a living. Let me tell you what the problem is. It's not that the people nominating are too white. They're not looking at a movie and saying, oh, that's very white. I'm not going to nominate that black movie. They're not sitting there like that. What's the problem is the people who can be helping to make movies, that have blacks and Latinos and right. women and all that, that money doesn't come to you because the idea is that there's no place for black movies. If there are more than two people, two black people in a movie, I'm telling you. But look, if Cheryl, Cheryl listen Cheryl to Bloom, me, I, don't, I understand that. Let me just say, let me read this. Cheryl Boone Isaacs, right, she became the Academy's first African-American president in 2013. She's been making these strides to shift uh, demographics. But she has made a statement saying that there needs to be more diversity. She's working on more diversity. And she's Where? so frustrated Can we talk about by the answer. Can I bring up issue? Can I bring something up? It's not an, listen, let me it's explain something to you. There has never been, in the history of movies, there has not been a plethora of black movies made because people believe we don't want to see movies about with black people in them. So until you start making movies like The Avengers, where you see more than... 70 white folks saving the earth, and I am mad about this. You know why? Because I would like to be one of those people saving yeah. the earth, but they're not coming to me. Yes, but that is the point with all of these. In Carol, in, in Star Wars, there are two black people. black people, I would have seen it. Well, can yeah. I also add something? Because yeah. it, it was yeah. two yeah. white girls, like I can't another cable movie. Anne Viv, the actress Janet Hubert, who was Anne Viv on Fresh Prince, mm-hmm. she uh, made a big statement. She wrote an article for the Huffington Post uh, criticizing Jada Pinkett Smith, who obviously she worked with Will Smith mm-hmm. on Fresh Prince. And it was very interesting because Jada has, she's boycotting the Oscars. She made a big statement about it. 
And what I call her Aunt Viv, because, you know, that's how I know her. <laughs> she said, um, I find it ironic that somebody who has made their living has made millions of dollars from the very people you're talking about boycotting just because you didn't get a nomination, and that they have a production company that can actually make movies. This is my but point. But can they green more black actors? So yes. why, why doesn't the boycott they make more no. movies? Doesn't the studio head Listen, have to green light? Don't no. we really need African-American stakeholders no. in the room? No, no. no. you need it. people who will make, you need production companies that will I'm make the movies. The people that, <laughs> well, you know what? I talk about God, you got to talk about these damn movies. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> you got to talk about the movies. The issue is, look, this, is, this happens every year, and right. so there are more movies made with people of color but how so do that do people, that how do we you do get that? the people who have the production companies to hire you make a stake all year not just once a year but all year you need orange juice yeah um, okay. <laughs> you know what we will got it boycotting boycotting doesn't work and it's also a slap in the face of 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 uh, chris rock chris rock and i find that i find that also wrong so I'm not going to boycott, but I'm going to continue to bitch as I have all year round because I'm tired of seeing movies where no one is represented except a, a bit of the population. I don't not think all of it. I don't think we bit. can underestimate the power of a boycott. I think the people Sunny, in Montgomery that own the bus companies felt the power of the boycott. That is a very... They, they need to... But you have there's to There's a have, multi-pronged approach, Whoopi. You don't only have to have to, one approach. There could be several. Sonny... Uh-oh, what is mad at me? No, I'm not mad at you, but I find it ironic that you would use the Montgomery bus boycott. Let me explain to you about the bus boycott. Those were asses in seats getting up, getting off the bus. You want to boycott something? Don't go see the movies that don't have your representation. I, I agree. I That's agree. That, that, that is true. That is true. Anything else, anything else is on us. As those of us who can make movies, who do make movies, who are not saying, hey, how come none of us are in these movies, and we don't say anything, we just accept it. That and maybe we need to stop we'll putting right. those movie tickets as I well. just said that. What up, everybody? It's your boy, Tommy Sotomayor. Now, I promised you guys that I would do a video uh, about Miss Janet Hubert, Black Aunt Thea from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. She had a lot to say about Mrs. Jada Pinkett Smith, and Mrs. Jada Pinkett Smith plead basically to everyone else in Hollywood to understand what she's doing, which is boycotting the Oscars because she believes that black people have gotten to a point where they don't need the Oscars and they don't need the love of white people. Well... Saw my video. Now you're about to hear what Miss Janet Hubert had to say about it. Go ahead, take a listen. Blackress Janet Hubert coming to you, not in a post, but sort of in a post. And um, I gotta say, um, I, I've been trying to figure out: Do, do I really want to do this? And yeah, I do. I do. Today being um, the celebration of Martin Luther King. Junior's birthday and hitting 60 years old, I just, I'm at that point where I'm like, uh-uh, I don't give a kitty. I want to say something about uh, Jada Pickett Smith asking other actors, black black actors and actresses to boycott the Oscars. Uh, first of all, Miss Thing, um, does your man not have a mouth of his own with which to speak? And 
the second thing is, girlfriend, there's a lot of shit going on in the world that you all don't seem to recognize. People are dying. Our boys are being shot left and right. Uh, people are hungry. People are starving. People are trying to pay bills. And you talk about some muscle actors uh, in Oscars. And it, it just ain't that deep. And here's the other thing. But you have asked other actors and other black actresses and black uh, actors to jeopardize their career, and they are standing in a town that you know damn well. You don't do that. And here's the other thing. They don't care. They don't care. And I find it ironic that somebody who has made their living, made their living and made millions and millions of dollars, um, from the very people that you talk about boycotting, just because you didn't get nomination, just because you didn't win, that is not the way life works, baby, okay? And it, it's very suspect to me. And I seem to recall, hmm, 20, maybe six, seven years ago, 25, whatever it was, what, what, though, I don't even remember, but I seem to remember at option time coming to you and saying, you know what, Will, you're the star of the show. Why don't we all get together? And with you, maybe we could get a little raise. Maybe the network, since you know the show is such a hit, and you being the star of the show, your influence will help us greatly, like they did on Friends, like white shows do. Remember that? Do you remember that? Because I do. Hmm. And your response to me was, my deal is my deal, and y'all deal is y'all deal. Well, Connor must be a bitch because now here you are. Here you are. You've had a few flops. And, you know, there are those out there who really deserved a nod, and Idris Elba was one of them. Lord have mercy. Beast of No Nation was incredible. That man is an incredible actor. You are not. Maybe you didn't deserve uh, a nomination. I, I didn't think, frankly, you deserved a Golden Globe nomination with that accent, but you got one. And just because the world doesn't go the way you want it to go doesn't mean that you can go out and then you start asking people to stand up and sing, we shall overcome for you. Mm. You ain't Barack and Michelle Obama, and y'all need to get over yourselves. You have a huge production company that you only produce your friends, your family, and yourself. So you are a part of Hollywood. You are a part of the system that is unfair to other actors. So get real. Now, for those of you who say, Miss Huber, here she go, here she go, here she go being bitter. Bitches, please. It's not about being bitter. It's about being right. You know, some of us got mortgages to pay. We got bills to pay. We got bigger shit to worry about than the Oscars. The only Oscar I care about right now is Oscar Mayawina with mustard and relish. And on that note, black is Janet Huber. Signing off. Peace, baby. Hopefully I'll make this quick. As you see, I'm wearing the anti-white people shirt. That's what this shirt is. I bought it from the anti-white people store. I think that's what it is. It's a white person with a line through it. It's boycott white people and white events. That's what this shirt means. Anyway, Janet Hubert, as you can see, aged very well. She's 60 years old. She looks very good to be 60 years old. She had a lot to say. Some of it was true. Some of it wasn't. Now, before I get started, don't say nothing about my Christmas tree, because my cat likes that Christmas tree, 
And I don't know how to take it down because the people that put it up for me went home. Family members ain't no good. All right, though. But let's talk about Miss Janet Hubert and what she had to say about Will Smith. Now, I looked at it and thought to myself, I see what, you know what, something's missing. Something's missing. Oh, that's right. Drop that motherfucking beat. Hell yeah. This had to be an ether. Come on, you knew this was coming. You knew it was coming. I wanted this to go viral and get on national television and stuff, but I said, you know what, I got to cut. I gotta say what I gotta say because this woman made me mad. Number one, this is why I feel the way I feel about the majority of black women. Women like Janet Hubert. This woman is holding a 27 year grudge. She was right when she talked about Jada Pinkett Smith and that this was a personal thing and they're trying to get everybody else to jump on their bandwagon. But you know what, Janet Hubert? So is what you said about Will Smith and the reason why you either don't believe he deserves an Oscar, you think he can't act now, and Idris should have got one but not him. Well, if you believe that this man shouldn't have got an Oscar and he can't act, one, why did you need to say something about it? Two, this is very unprofessional. This is why a lot of people think that black women look and act and sound like trannies. You look, act, and sound like a tranny. Yep. Think about everything she said. Straight up gay colloquialism. I don't get a cake. Honey, better go. Sit together. You know when they do that stupid ass really fast talking and stopping? Black women are ridiculous. And it ain't the BT-1000. This motherfucker right here is a BT-800. This one of the original models. One of the motherfuckers that came off and you knew it was a robot. That's what it was. This woman literally sounds like any gay man, any transsexual that you see in the street. Black dresses. A black dress. What is wrong with black women? They come up with stupid words. I don't give a kitty. Then turns around and cusses every five seconds. You're unprofessional, bitch. That's why you got fired. That's why you can't get a job now. Because you're unprofessional, bitch. And you make it worse because you keep talking like a jackass, bitch. Nobody likes a bitch like you, bitch. But you just keep on talking yourself right into a hole, bitch. If you 60, Will Smith is about, man, 48 or something. You're about 12 years this motherfucking man's sick. 12, 15 years his, his senior. Yet you was asking him when he was a kid that he should have stood up for you to help you get a raise when he felt like he was making enough money. Correlation, bitch. You feel like you shouldn't help him because he is a black actor and his wife is a black dress. Stupid bitch. That wants to boycott the office. You said that they all personal beat. Well, then that means he was right when he said what he said to you back in the old days. That it was your own personal beat. You're not like friends because he felt like his contract was good. Matter of fact, everyone felt like their contract was good, you dumb bitch. But you, it's not like you got the rest of the cast saying, well, Will Smith fucked it up for all of us. I would understand your beef. But the rest of the cast says, you're the idiot. That's why they replaced the dark-skinned bib with the light-skinned bib. Because people get tired of the dark-skinned bibs. People get tired of the dark-skinned chicks. 
Because all they do is sit around and motherfucking complain, argue, be jackasses, look and sound like trannies all damn day, but you can't say nothing to them. Because they know everything, and they're going to be loud about it. Energy efficiency interviews are brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Matthew, you know energy-saving light bulbs last six times longer than that old bulb in your lamp. Uh, yeah, well, I don't even live here. Matthew, dinner's ready. I never met that woman. It's your favorite, Matt. Lasagna. Uh, Don't you people knock? Just give me the energy saver. Millions of kids are using their energy wisely. What's your excuse? Learn more at LoseYourExcuse.gov. This is the story of a boy wizard whose name was Larry Smarter. Larry, why weren't you in Professor Dickie Doodle's mythical creature classification class? Larry wanted to go to college, so he visited knowhowtogo.org to find which classes he really needed. You missed the lesson on telling dragons from dragonflies. Right. Um, I want to go to college, so I'm taking Algebra 2, Biology, and a Foreign Language. Foreign Language? You mean so you can talk to unicorns? Well, not exactly. Unless they're French. But Larry had no time for unicorns, or even for Miss Petunia Tootie's time-traveling tutorial, which met every other yesterday at 25 o'clock. Sorry I'm late. My star clock game went into overtime. And he knew knowhowtogo.org was way better than hoping for a snockball scholarship. So, while his friends all aced invisibility, when Larry finally got to college, they were nowhere to be seen. Brought to you by the American Council on Education, Lumina Foundation for Education, and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Now, these are the things that nation talk, are not necessarily the views of talk shoe, Jam Radio Production, SoulHead.com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Nation Talk, 1724-444-7444, call ID number 555-19-POUND.
that birthday parties actually help build confidence in kids. Um, yeah, I did know that. Did you know that giving kids less sugar before bedtime helps them sleep better? Right, of course. Yeah, I knew that. Um, did you know that strollers have the right of way on sidewalks? <laughs> oh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Did you know that friendly kids statistically have more friends? <laughs> Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Obvious. Hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Hi, guys. I didn't know that. <laughs> I think I knew that. No, I didn't. Parents who really know it all? Know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
as all that snow is moved. And it's not just out of the airfield. A lot is going on behind the scenes, and workers have to be able to get to their positions in order for the airport to reopen. The closure of the major airports in the east has a ripple effect across the entire country, delays and cancellations, and even overseas. Some international flights can't get in. Michael Kurth is stranded in Brussels. In total, about 48 hours or more of travel. Amtrak rail running reduced service during the storm is coming back. Regional and city rail far from full service at New York's Penn Station. We got stranded and uh, had to stay one more night. But this afternoon, a few flights starting to take off from northern airports. This one at New York's LaGuardia. The real question is tomorrow's commute on road, rail, and in the air. And with all this snow to move, it's unlikely that any of those commutes are going to be smooth. Tom? And so many people stuck tonight. It's unlikely that any of those commutes are going to be smooth. All right, David. We met as first-year medical students, and at first I thought he was, like, this boring guy who wanted to be a doctor, and he was really serious, and then I realized that on his medical school ID, he was wearing a fake mustache, and this was, like, before mustaches were anything, and Paul was kind of a goofy guy. He was sort of irreverent and reverent at the same time, and so um, that was when I first had a crush on him. Paul Kalanadi was the modern definition of a Renaissance man, gifted in both science and the humanities. The son of a cardiologist, he majored in English and biology at Stanford before getting a master's in English literature there, followed by a master's in philosophy from Cambridge. In deciding whether to pursue a career in English literature or medicine, he wrote, quote, I could either study meaning or experience it, and he chose medicine. What was it about being a neurosurgeon that brought him closer to experiencing meaning? He loved the idea of um, helping people who were going through a crisis. And he'd been interested in this question of how to make a meaningful life and how to face mortality or to find meaning despite the fact that we're all mortal. 
then when he himself was diagnosed with a terminal illness, he did feel ready to face it. At the age of 36, Paul was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. Over the next 22 months, he wrote a memoir called When Breath Becomes Air about the most personally challenging case of his career. I flipped through the CT scan images. The diagnosis, obvious. Cancer, widely disseminated. Over the last six years, I'd examined scores of such scans. But this scan was different. It was my own. Paul never smoked. That's generally the first question that comes into people's minds when they hear about lung cancer. You don't have to smoke to get lung cancer. About 20% of people who have lung cancer never smoked. And actually, two-thirds of people who have lung cancer either never smoked or um, quit long ago before he was diagnosed. Did you all now, in retrospect, I'm sure, have a sense that something wasn't right? Yeah, I mean, at the time, he was a chief resident in neurosurgery, and so he was working, you know, upwards of 90 hours a week. He started losing weight unexpectedly um, and developing sort of really severe back pain, but at the same time, he was operating on people's brains for 14 hours a day. He had a Snickers bar for lunch, and so for a period of time, it seemed kind of explicable. What was it like when you got that call? I mean, it was must have been impossible to wrap your brain around it. Those days of him being diagnosed were so intense and so painful. Um, at the same time, we had seen that bad things can happen. Um, you know, when you're a doctor, you see that day in and day out. In a way, we, we skipped the stage of asking why me, and we sort of had more of this feeling of, oh, my gosh, it's our turn now. When Paul was diagnosed, I know it was a challenging time in your marriage. Mm -hmm. That's right. And he talks about that. That's right. You write, we each joke to close friends that the secret to saving a relationship is for one person to become terminally ill. <laughs> I know you were joking, of course, but how did cancer change your relationship? You know, I think many people have rough patches in their marriage. Um, and we did, and then it resolved, and it was a real lesson to me um, and I wonder if a lot of people can relate to that. You know, it's sort of an interesting thought experiment. If you're having a tough time in your relationship, what if one of you became terminally ill? Like, would it change anything? After he got diagnosed, I said, you know, what do you need from me? Do you want to travel with your brothers? Do you want me to help you accomplish something that doesn't include me? I really want to make this time the best it could possibly be for you. And for him to essentially say, no, I want to be with you in our house. I want to go back to our honeymoon destination. It was so romantic. You know, when you marry somebody, you're saying, I want to spend my whole life with you, and you think that, you're, you think that that means 50 years. And for Paul to say, I want to spend my whole life with you, when we knew it might mean a year or two, was so romantic and amazing. Um, it was heartbreaking, but it was also really loving. Let's talk about your decision to have a baby. Mm -hmm. How tough was that? Because you knew yeah. the prognosis, mm -hmm. as did Paul. Yeah, so um, obviously we talked about that a lot. I asked him, you know, don't you think that having a child to say goodbye to will make your death more painful? And his answer really astounded me. He said, well, wouldn't it be great if it did? And what he meant by that was if a child brings us such a degree of meaning that it becomes even more painful um, to leave, 
uh, better to have experienced that yeah. meaning yeah. and that level of love. Yeah, that's right. We talked about how life isn't about avoiding suffering. It's also about creating meaning. And when she was born, it was such a juxtaposition of bringing one life into the world while another was ending. Paul had just been in the hospital for a few weeks with um, severe complications of chemo. Thankfully, he came home before I went into labor, but separated by just a few days. And Paul had to come into the hospital in a wheelchair and then came and lay on a cot um, next to me um, when I was in labor. Even though he was lying down and he was ill, it was so strengthening to have him there. We were together, and it was wonderful. And then when she was born, it was it really was an incredible moment. We were so thrilled. And his book title is When Breath Becomes Air, and I kind of look back and I think for her that was the moment when air became breath. I imagine that at some point in her life she'll take a real interest in Paul and she'll read the book, and maybe at other moments she won't. Um, you know, because she's going to be her own person. But um, my hope is that um, if and when she wants it, she'll have these words. I know that he said that if he hadn't been a doctor or writer, he would have been a pastor. Mm. Is this book, in a way, an opportunity for him to be a doctor, a writer, and a pastor? Um, if that question is bringing tears to my eyes, um, he hoped for each of those and dreamed of each of those, and then the fact that this book is a way for him to do those. Um, you know, Paul kind of sought answers to these big questions of how do we make sense of the fact that even though we will all die, um, how do we build our most meaningful lives, and what are we doing for each other to help each other live and die well? You know, I think the fact that both of you face death so unflinchingly takes a lot of courage. Where did you get that strength? Yeah, our medical background is kind of the best and worst thing. We didn't have illusions about what was very likely to happen. Um, I think we helped to make each other brave. Um, we weren't afraid to face it together and to talk about what was really happening. Um, and I, I do think that um, people can surprise themselves um, with what they can do um, out of love. Lucy helped shepherd the book through the very end and wrote the epilogue from her perspective. I returned to Paul's bedside. He looked at me, his dark eyes alert above the nose bridge of the BiPAP mask, and said clearly, his voice soft but unwavering, I'm ready. And were you ready at that moment in time? Yeah. Um... Yeah, he was very ill, and for him, the most important thing was to be lucid um, and to have mental clarity. So both of us kind of knew that that time was up. That said, this was an incredibly intense moment and a difficult time and the hardest day of my life. I was utterly heartbroken, um, but also ready. There is perhaps only one thing to say to this infant who is all future overlapping briefly with me, whose life, barring the improbable, is all but past. That message is simple. When you come to one of the many moments in life where you must give an account of yourself, of what you have been and done and meant to the world, do not, I pray, discount that you fill the dying man's days with a sated joy, a joy unknown to me in all my prior years. 
a joy that does not hunger for more and more, but rests satisfied in this time, right now. That is an enormous thing. Thank you. 
taste savings. You can't skip this Geico ad because it's already over. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Hold it right. Jeff has been a very good father, a wonderful son, a hard worker. His heart is big. When push comes to shove, people are going to realize Jeff has real solutions rather than talking about how popular they are, how great they are. He's doing it because he sees a huge need and it's not being filled by anybody. Of all the people running, he seems to be the one who could solve the problem. I think he'll be a great president. race discussion has been brought up as well when covering and talking about this crisis. Michael Moore, a famous resident of your state, has called what's happening in Flint a racial crime. Uh, Governor Snyder now emphatically denies that that is, in fact, what has happened. Do you think, though, that, that given that Flint has a majority of African-American residents, do you think that played a part at all in the state's lack of response? Yes, I do. I believe that if they had more political power, uh, and prestige, this would have been done differently. If this were a wealthy suburb in Michigan, if there was smell or discolorization, they would have been on it within a week. Uh, yes. I mean, the sad, outrageous reality is that people were not paying attention to what the residents were saying because they, they just weren't a priority. So, in your opinion, uh, government officials believe that the folks of Gross Point were entitled to healthier water than those in Flint? I don't. I guess what I would say is that they would react differently uh, when their friends that live in those areas call than when the pastors and the families of Flint were calling. They wouldn't have debated for months and months and months about whether or not they were telling the truth that the water didn't taste good, it was discolored, that their children had rashes, that it smelled. There would not have been that debate. There would not have been an unwillingness to spend $100 a day to make sure the water was treated like in every other part of this state. So that's just a fact that it was, they were treated differently than others would be treated. If you're the guy from the operation game, get operated on. It's what you do. If you want to save 15%. Hi, everyone. I'm on car It's what you do. From Washington, D.C., where residents of this city and as many as 85 million Americans across the eastern part of the country are bracing for the arrival of winter storm Jonas. Sam Champion is the managing editor of the Weather Channel and host of 23.5 Degrees, coming soon to the Weather Channel. He's my former colleague, my longtime friend, and he's in New York where the storm is also headed. Sam, first of all, thank you so much for coming in. To be honest, I told you I'd run through anything to get to you, so uh, it's nice to be here with you. 
Well, I wish it was on better terms. A lot of people are bracing for this storm. Who is going to be hit the hardest this weekend by Jonas? All right, and, and let me just say that the computer models were locked into this a week ago, and I feel very confident, and we're, we're stuck with the numbers in these areas. We're good with the numbers in these areas. These are going to be the worst hit areas. Uh, West Virginia, Western Virginia, Northern Virginia, Maryland, all the way into southern Pennsylvania, major cities that are involved here, Washington, Baltimore, Philly, uh, in line there. Any place that's got an elevation, that mountain spine of Virginia, will get a lot of heavy snow. West Virginia as well. These will be your highest totals. So when you hear the number 30 inches of snow, that's what you're looking for, those mountain higher elevations. And in many places, it's out, away from people. So this could be a real problem uh, in these isolated areas with big snow totals. So these forecasts were really good in predicting it, this, as you said, a few days earlier and a few days out for people to prepare at home. But for those wondering, when exactly does a winter storm turn into a blizzard? It's a great question, and because they're very different things, and people tend to kind of lump them together and think that a blizzard means the worst winter conditions and therefore more snow. And it has nothing to do with the amount of snow you get. It's more the sky conditions. You're in blizzard conditions if your winds are constant at about 35 miles an hour for a long period of time. Uh, the rule of thumb is about three hours. And your visibility, what you can see, the distance you can see, is less than a quarter mile. In that blowing snow situation where you have limited visibility, high winds, howling winds, and usually collecting snow, that's when you've got a blizzard. But it doesn't mean you have to have snowfall totals of a certain amount. We can see blizzard conditions in Washington with two feet of snow. We can see blizzard conditions in New York with six inches of snow. And, of course, people have been preparing for this. Schools and a lot of businesses already shut in the area. What is the difference between an advisory, a warning, and, and, and other warnings that we see? When should people stay home and stay put? Okay. Um, the advisories will come out well in advance, and it says, you know, hey, we're looking at this. National Weather Service, uh, there, are, there are weather gurus in the nation. They will tell you what you're getting ready for, so that's an advisory. Then they'll tell you where it's likely. That's a watch. Then they're going to tell you where it's happening and imminent and hunker down, and that's a warning. So if you're in an uh, advisory area, it means, hey, wait a minute, look around, see what's going on, maybe change your schedule. If you're in a watch situation, definitely change your schedule, get in touch with your family, put all your preps in place. If you're in a warning situation, hunker down, it's about to be on top of you if it's not already. And, of course, Sam, I don't have to tell you that weather has turned into a political issue. It's something that you talk about on a daily basis. Yeah. The big headline this week was that 2015 was the hottest year on record. Yep. Uh, climate change deniers will likely point to the record snowstorm now, Jonas, as evidence that climate change doesn't really exist. Can you talk about how the fact that we can have a massive storm and the hottest year on record coincide with climate change? Oh, absolutely, because it's exactly what you would expect. We have to stop this kind of like one – our minds are capable of understanding complicated issues. They really are. And when you try to dumb down an issue into one topic, when you say there's no climate change because we still have winter storms, that's what you've done. You've taken the whole scientific evidence – that exists for what we're living in, all of the problems, the billion-dollar weather disasters, the warmest oceans uh, that we've seen uh, in quite some time, the, um, the, the warmest year since we've been keeping weather records. You're taking all of that and you're throwing it out the window, and you can't do that. So what climate change means is that we live in a world of statistical averages with our climate. And, yes, climate swings and changes in long-pattern times. It doesn't usually swing a change this drastically in short times. 
So what we've been able to do is look at the trends. Look all across the globe. Now we're able to measure it. We're able to see it with satellites. And what we see is our climate is changing. What that will mean for the short term is we've seen warmer temperatures, warmer oceans. It will also mean the impact of stronger storms because the warmer oceans will fuel stronger storms. So when we look at that, do we have cold air on the planet? Absolutely we do. Should we expect that we do? Certainly. But at the same time, there are big changes happening that you cannot deny. Not only the warming, but the melting of the polar ice. All of these things are being measured scientifically. No one's trying to trick you. No one's trying to fool you. The, the science community, the universities, the federal grants, they've all been spending their lives dedicated to studying these things to give you the data. The data is in. We have to make decisions to make sure that people can live healthy, productive lives as our climate changes. Yes, that means we should just become more accustomed to extremes in either way. Uh, but let's talk about Jonas, because for those who are watching right now, can you give us some survival tips that people at home can use right now as they're preparing for the storm? Yeah, if you're in those hot... Are we going to come back to that? Go take a break and come back to that in a few moments. Let's just let's just talk your Sunday evening form. Churches use surveillance cameras. Legal insights for pastors. Here's a word from attorney David Gibbs Jr. A pastor of a very new church called the Christian Law Association with a problem. He knows having two adults present at all times with children is a safeguard against liability. With such a small congregation, however, having two adults in the room was often difficult. Our attorney suggested consider using surveillance cameras. The law allows property owners, in this case the church, to install and use surveillance cameras on their own property. The church can now have more adults attend the main service and know the children at the church are safe and watched for. If you have any questions about the use of surveillance cameras, please call us at CLA. It has been a while since you've been to our website, you really ought to check it out. ChristianLaw.org is a virtual tool shed of legal tools, legal advice for pastors and ministries, answers to difficult questions, links to helpful PDF files, and much more. Then there's our Legal Alert newsletter and a link that lets you contact a CLA attorney. So check it all out at ChristianLaw.org. Again, that's ChristianLaw.org. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
highlighted areas, uh, the areas that are going to be, and I need to, uh, be honest, even mention from Arkansas all the way into the Carolinas, part of Kentucky as well, there's snow and ice involved with this. And, and we might have accumulating ice in North Carolina, more than an inch of accumulating ice. There are also thunderstorms connected with this, well, from South Georgia into Florida. So there's a lot of things happening with this. It's a very big classic winter storm. The one thing I want you to understand is that, is that when you have the worst impacts of this storm, whether it's flooding, uh, whether it's tornado damage, whether it's high snow or high winds, you have to have your – you have to be um, – you're like family commander. So you need to make sure that your home is a safe place to stay. Stock up on those batteries. This is very, very important, and do not wait for last minute to rush to the shelves. Any kind of a now technology gives you this incredible halogen light that you can just keep batteries in, and you, you'll be working fine. As far as heat goes, if you have a fireplace, you've got to make sure all those things that you would take care of to be stocked up to winter are truly taken care of. Do not burn anything inside your home or your garage because now you've got a CO2 problem. The, the, what we found is that most people don't die in the storm. They kind of die after the storm. So that's dying on icy roads, dying uh, because of complications from shoveling snow and heart attacks, dying because you've had prolonged exposure to cold air and cold temperatures. So make sure you and your family have food, water, cash, uh, your medication supply for at least three days, because in some of these rural areas, you could be without power that long, at least. Be uh, a household a manager. That, that's, a, that's a really good piece of advice. And a lot of electrical companies have been already advising that, that, that a lot of the residents may likely lose power as well. So be sure to stock up on everything that you just mentioned, Sam. And on a more local note, in Washington, D.C., is this city ready for a storm of this caliber? Just this past uh, Wednesday, an inch of snow uh, nearly made the city shut down. There was a giant traffic jam. If an inch of snow can do that, what can 30 uh, inches do? Yeah, I, you know, and, and I understand everyone has an opinion on this, but, but to me, it is inexcusable what Northern Virginia and Washington, D.C. went through. The National Weather Service and other weather outlets like the Weather Channel uh, will put out forecast information, will put out watch and weather information early enough for federal, state, and local uh, managers to make decisions, and they should make appropriate decisions. You cannot leave your people at risk. Again, New York two years ago uh, with a brand-new incoming mayor, with the snow that the city wasn't protect, ready to, to get rid of. You cannot leave your people at risk. You have to be ready. You have to be paying attention. And even if it means you're going to be spending money and the storm blows you by, you still prep for every storm as if it were real. You have to. We have no better way of, of protecting people now. We have better forecasts than we've ever had in the history of forecasting. Listen to them. Make your decisions. Yes, spend that money and protect people, save their lives. Better safe than sorry, New York Mayor de Blasio promised that they would be more prepared for this storm. But like you said, a lot of residents will be holding their politicians accountable. Should, they should, definitely should. And don't forget, don't let them have a press conference in the next couple of months to talk about uh, how they'll do better next time. Demand that think that your roads are clear. Demand that your power's on. We have the ability to survive these storms and get through them next day demand that your public officials are taking care of you. Sam Champion, once again, great to hear from an expert, the best in the field, managing editor of the Weather Channel, host of 23.5 Degrees. Sam, thank you so much for taking the time and this very important topic to come in and talk to us about. Thank you, Bianca.
poor moms on WIC were actually still mixing this, their baby formula with this water. I decided to reach out myself to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. I lead our efforts on agriculture and nutrition to make sure we have additional money available to help every mom get ready to feed formula so you don't have to mix it with water. When I went to the state and said, what are you doing to reach out to moms? This was way before this became national. They said, oh, don't worry. Every mom who wants ready-to-feed formula has it. I said, well, how do you know that? And they didn't know that. And then they said, well, we are afraid it will cost too much money and we'll run out of money. So that's when I got them extra money, which they still have not used. I still don't know if every mom is getting ready-to-feed formula. When they wouldn't act, I went on radio and TV myself and reached out to the community to try to raise the red flags. And then it became more of a national story. But I have to tell you, they have dragged their feet every step of the way. And what we now know, and, you know, what the EPA has now come in to take over for the testing because they're calling it an emergency process. They don't trust the state anymore to do the testing, to let people know, to be engaged. And it's clear that unlike anything we've ever seen, after moving folks from good water to bad water, having a public health emergency, we've not seen across this country a situation where a state would voluntarily not act to be able to deal with a public health crisis. So that's why I keep pushing back on State of Michigan, who has a budget surplus, has a responsibility to step up and make this right. Well, let me ask you, because there was news out just earlier this week that the EPA administrator for the region would be stepping down. Others are calling for Governor Snyder to be stepping down. Governor Snyder says now is not the time that he actually should be focusing on the problem as opposed to uh, political issues and matters at that. Have you spoken to Governor Snyder about this crisis in the past few months, and do you think he should step down? Well, from my perspective, I want to keep things focused on the families and children and what they need. The U.S. Attorney is involved. Uh, there are lawsuits going on now. I don't have confidence that there's still a sense of urgency. I have spoken uh, to multiple people uh, in uh, the administration and to uh, to see the slow walking and the, the, they seem to be more concerned right now about ducking blame than really doing what needs to be done. And so just this week, for example, uh, the President of the United States declared an emergency, has committed $80 million to fixing the infrastructure. The state of Michigan so far has committed $28 million, $80 million, $28 million, and yet they caused the problem with their decisions, their negligence, the incompetence that caused it. So I keep pushing on the state. It's not political. It's that they have Altogether, uh, budget surpluses and a rainy day fund of about a billion dollars. They're debating in the state government what to do with it. They have to make Flint a top priority, and that's what I want to see done at this point. Because when you track it back, it is outrageous. I have never seen anything like it. And for a hundred dollars a day. This wouldn't have happened if they had just treated the water. And that is why we at Yahoo are talking about this story now with you. Let me ask you about the, the governor and, and, and the blame that's being assigned left, right, and center. The governor's released a number of emails pertaining to the crisis. Uh, they seem to be passing on the buck of responsibility. Who do you blame for this? And, and like I asked before, do you think the governor should step down? Well, 
Yeah, I certainly would be very happy if he took full responsibility and did that. But I don't want this just to be focused in terms of uh, the political piece of it. Whoever is there, frankly, has got to step up and do the right thing for the people of Flint. And here's how this goes. The governor appointed an emergency manager to replace the mayor, an unelected person accountable to the governor. They made the decision to save about $4 million by going from great water to poor water. They decided not to pay 100 bucks a day to treat it to make sure that folks wouldn't be poisoned. They fought with the EPA. They attacked the scientists, saying the EPA scientists were wrong. They attacked the pediatrician who said that lead levels were up. They, every step of the way, have slow walked or tried to deflect to somebody else. And even now, even now, when they said they'd taken full responsibility, they would only pay for half of rehooking them up to good water. And in my judgment, they are not doing an aggressive outreach to moms and babies about what's going on in terms of their health care, and they've not yet made a long-term commitment to nutrition, which is the only thing that mitigates. This lead stays in your body forever. And so we have got collectively, and I'm working very, very hard on this uh, in my role federally on agricultural nutrition, to look short-term and long-term at nutritional needs of children, kids in schools. We're going to have educational problems, special education, mental health, stunted growth. I mean, this is now a long-term crisis. And I think that the state of Michigan should put together something that I'm calling a future fund, where they put money aside for the future so that when the next crisis comes and folks aren't paying attention to what's happening to Flint children, that there's money there to invest in them for the future. And, of course, the people would applaud that, but, of course, they still want to focus on the current crisis. Some are saying that this could lead to criminal charges, that, that some would be prosecuted. Erin Brockovich told me that this, that, in fact, should happen when I asked her about it yesterday. Do you think that this will come into a criminal case? I think there's a lot to look at on the criminal and civil side. When you look at information that was given, they chose not to ask what is happening to real people, real children, real families. The U.S. Attorney is involved, and that's a good thing. There are civil lawsuits. I think that those on the criminal side need to look very closely at this because I think it is an absolute outrage, and we have to have people held accountable. And, of course, uh, the, the race discussion has been brought up as well when covering and talking about this crisis. Michael Moore, a famous resident of your state, has called what's happening in Flint a racial crime. Uh, Governor Snyder now emphatically denies that that is, in fact, what has happened. Do you think, though, that, that given that Flint has a majority of African-American residents, do you think that played a part at all in the state's lack of response? Yes, I do. I believe that if they had more political power uh, and prestige, this would have been done differently. If this were a wealthy suburb in Michigan, if there was smell or discolorization, they would have been on it within a week. Uh, yes. I mean, the sad, outrageous reality is that people were not paying attention to what the residents were saying because they, they just weren't a priority. So in your opinion, uh, government officials believe that the folks of Grosse Point were entitled to healthier water than those in Flint? I, don't, I guess what I would say is that they would react differently uh, when their friends that live in those areas call than when 
the pastors and the families of Flint were calling. They wouldn't have debated for months and months and months about whether or not they were telling the truth that the water didn't taste good, it was discolored, that the children had rashes, that it smelled. There would not have been that debate. There would not have been an unwillingness to spend $100 a day to make sure the water was treated like in every other part of this state. So that's just a fact that it was they were treated differently than others would be treated. Honey, they had 34 shades of white paint. Come on, it was a tough decision. <laughs> so what did you get? Ultra premium puffy cloud white. And that'll match? I have no idea. There's another can in the car. I just want to sit for a sec. Are you okay? <laughs> Two out of three people with diabetes die of a heart attack or stroke. But you can lower the risk. Ask your health care provider how. For more info, go to diabetesactnow.org. Brought to you by the American Diabetes Association and the Ad Council. If you're not facing your mortgage issues, this can be the most terrifying sound in the world. It means you've fallen behind. It means hope is dwindling. It means you're another call closer to losing your home to foreclosure. Fortunately, there's hope. If you need real help and guidance, call 1-888-995-HOPE. That's 1-888-995-4673 because nothing is worse than doing nothing. A public service announcement brought to you by NeighborWorks, the Ad Council, and this station. Welcome to the ocean. I've sailed the seven seas a hundred times and found something I like even more than we treasure. Tis the ocean. Beautiful and clear. Right now, I'd be sailing over the Great Barrier Reef. It just shivers me timbers thinking of all the fish and coral below me. Wait, what's that floating by? The plastic bag! Why, Black Bear's eye patch, that's disgusting. Why did you know that many of these things come from folks throwing them carelessly on the ground? It'd be true. Lend us a hand by always recycling and disposing of your trash properly. Boys, get the plank ready. Somebody's got to dive in and get that bag. Any volunteers? Uh, All right, fine. I'll do it myself. Cannonball! Find out what you can do to help keep the oceans healthy at keepoceansclean.org. Brought to you by the Keep Oceans Clean Alliance and the Ad Council. Be a good father is the most important job in a man's life, but it doesn't have to be hard. Play catch. Go to a park or visit a zoo. Help your child with their homework. Sit down together for dinner. Ask them how their day was. Things get busy, and sometimes we all fall short. But the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at one eight seven seven for dad 411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. The next singer, songwriter, Jeanette Henault, joins us now uh, on the line. And Hene uh, Algemil, also a manager for Jeanette Henault and a friend. So, Jeanette, first of all, our condolences. 
Well, I'm my sincere sympathy also to listen in and all the all his children, his family. Jeanette, I know this isn't a surprise, but uh, it's But still... five minutes, it's like I knew someone just told me five minutes ago. Yeah. So, so what are you thinking about as you as you as you think of his passing? Well, the man has he always had wonder. Like in the first time, I don't know how to say that in English. He's a, he's very unique. He's um he's a good man. He really is. So I I, I don't know. Maybe they need him in heaven, <laughs> doing something. I don't know. But he could have stayed a little more. But I'm you know I feel so sad. I'm sad because he's we've had some great times together. Tell tell us about them. Well, we worked together for about two years. My best, the best album I've done in my career uh, was uh, a part of him. And uh, we had some good times. Well, you know, like, he's he's a very funny man. He's very generous, uh, very comprehensive, you know, like, he always understands, you know. So... I'm sure that it's going to be a big, big loss to all his family, his friends, and, and Celine. And to describe him as uh, as Mike Finnerty, who works for the CBC, describes René Angelou as a giant of the Quebec music industry. He is, he is. He, there's only one one of a kind, you know. This is, I don't know how to say the word. I always say wonder in English. I looked in the dictionary for a uh, sacré. Uh, there's something inside of him that is very, uh, it's like untouchable. You understand what I'm trying to say? I do. Sacred. You could really? say it's sacred. Like he's very, it's, it's like there's a part of him, like, uh, somehow he's an angel, you know? Well, you know, we're looking at, as we're talking to you, Jeanette, we're looking at some of the pictures of Céline Dion and René Angelil. Can you tell us about that relationship? Well, when we when we left each other, he met Celine, and uh, he's always he's always said to me that he's grateful. Are you still there? Yes. Or someone yes. is trying to call me. No, I'm listening. He's always said how grateful he was because he met Celine after, right after me. But the difference between the, the the two of us is like he really fell in love with her, so they got married and everything. Us, it was just good friendship. I don't think we could have fallen in love together. Anyways, so he's done with Celine something amazing, something great. They belong to each other. They deserve each other. What do you think this loss will mean for Celine? Because she's been so public about his fight with cancer. He has, yes, he has. I don't know. I think everybody's going to have to now grieve uh, and uh, accept also that uh, because he's a he's a big loss. He really is. And just just a final question to you, Jeanette. What what do you think his legacy will be? What will Hene Angelou's legacy be? What does that mean, legacy? It means what. Kind of impact do you think that he had? Oh, he, I mean, 
And that's going to do it for yours truly for another Nation Talk. Tomorrow morning we'll be back at 6 a.m. for more inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. Hope to see you then. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily views or talk to you. Jam Radio Productions, com, and its sponsors. This has been, this has been Nation Talk, a public affairs program. And Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Join us next Sunday for another Nation Talk here on Talk to the Jam Radio. And tomorrow morning for One Inspiration on Jam Radio 2.1. God bless you and good night.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.